All right. Aaron. So, <laughs> Andrew, I don't want to be. Been. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's no, been. No, our listeners don't know that. Uh, well, they do now. And for that, I'm sorry. But, you know. Not the big surprise. Yeah. We got him. Um, My man. I don't want to be ableist, but I have to mention something. And Uh-oh. I don't I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying here. But I, um, I think we can all agree that you shouldn't talk on the phone while you're driving, right? Yes. That. Yeah. Some I mean, people, are you talking like holding a phone up to your ear? Uh, or just being on a call like hands free? Well, that's that's what brings me to this experience I just had on the way here, driving home from work. <sighs> I saw somebody talking on the phone, but the I I guess it wasn't technically hand free. Because they were, they appeared to be FaceTiming and signing. What? The person on the other end. <laughs> like, I get <laughs> the need to do that, but like in a car seems, yeah, not great. <laughs> like, that seems like, a, it's like a cool use, but like not yeah. while your car is in transit. I please. feel like it's not ableist to say, please do not do sign language through FaceTime please. while driving a car. You're putting everyone else in danger. That was just the craziest thing. Yeah. I just, uh, I, oh, that's, uh, me out. <laughs> hmm. yeah, I, yeah, I can imagine. Um, that's I also, a new one. I also wanted to talk about, uh, our listeners have been, uh, They've been uh, just bugging us and bugging us about how they can support our show. Um, literally sending uh, flying. What are those things on the planes? The banners. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the, yeah. The little toad banner things. Yeah. yeah. Did one show up outside your place of employment? It would be nice if it was just one. Oh. Um, drones. Uh, telepresence robots, <laughs> telegrams. <laughs> a little Western <laughs> Union guy in an outfit showed up to your door. Dinging telegram for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Aaron, stop! Please advertise the Patreon. Stop. They, they, they've been they've been asking about how they can support us, and the answer is Patreon. Mm. There's a there's a good stuff FM Patreon, and there's a link in our show notes. So go do that. You can go there. <laughs> You can support us and support all the other shows. Mm-hmm. This isn't a bit either. Like, uh, like I just thought about this. This isn't even in our show notes. Yeah, no, it's. You I hope know, it's coming off as natural as it is. Right. Help us defray the cost of all of this. It, I mean, yeah. it defrays the monetary cost. It doesn't defray the physical and emotional cost to our benefactor, we, Chris and Kyle, <laughs> with who to I whom mean, we cause anguish on a weekly basis. They take that on just out of the goodness of their hearts. Yeah. So. Or maybe some sort of self-flagellating tendency. It's impossible to know. (laughs) What we're saying is send help and also your dollars. Yeah. Give us your money. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, is that where I'm supposed to do the... I rearranged my. We're forgetting uh, our own bits. A bit. 
Uh, big surprise. You wanted to talk about something. I'm trying to scroll. I'm scrolling. I did. Um, this was a um, article on the outline, which was a response to an article on Business Insider. The article on Business Insider. Um, it has one of these very long headlines. Um, I don't know how they, you feel there's about a lot that. Of, there's a lot of headline uh, inflation inflation yeah. going on. Your your headline should necessarily be short. That's the point of a headline. <laughs> your headline you know? has two colons. Yeah. <laughs> I've been hiring people for 10 years, comma, and I still swear by a simple rule, colon. If someone doesn't send you a thank you email, comma, don't hire them, full stop. Um, which... So this is by the managing executive, <clears throat> I'm sorry, executive managing editor of Insider Inc., which is apparently the company that runs Business Insider. Um, oh. And they've she's hired hundreds of people over 10 years. The easy test to see whether a candidate wants a job and is a quote unquote good egg. Did they send a thank you email after the interview? Um, and the uh, outline article basically says the subhead is why is a job candidate supposed to thank an interviewer rather than the other way around? Um, and I feel this as someone who has done interviews sort of from both sides. Like mm -hmm. it makes a lot more sense to me that the interviewer should thank the interviewee because the interviewee, you know, in a, in a good job market, like they could take their pick from multiple places of employment. Uh, what bothers me having been involved in recruiting is the idea that like, um, you don't, the, we don't need you, you need us. Right. The employers hold all the power and you basically need to like prostrate yourself before them and uh, just be subservient. You have to be exceedingly polite and you have to have, you have to do all these courtesies or whatever. I have to yes. say, yes, yes. Just bow, <laughs> bow down and right. pledge fealty to your lord and master. Exactly. And I, personally, as someone who has done interviews and, and all, the, all the people that were on my recruiting team, like we didn't, I didn't receive that many thank you emails after interviews and I didn't really care. Like, I don't know. It seems this is the thing is most of the time people send a thank you uh, email not because they are genuinely thankful that you interviewed them but because they think it's part of the process right it's right. on the checklist of things you have to do to get a job which is funny you because have to wear a suit and you have to uh you know uh bring your resume you have to send a thank you email afterwards and if you don't you might not get a job and it's just it's silly because it's a formality it doesn't really mean anything it doesn't really help anything at all well and by writing this article <laughs> they've, they've they've only made that more true right yeah like if you if you're like no this the system should be is this way well if it's just a system then it doesn't mean anything like mm. <laughs> it's just like tipping right yeah and it, it becomes useless uh, it just i mean it's i don't know <sighs> so in this business insider article she says the thank you email reflects two things Number one, it signals that the person wants the job, or rather no thank you email signals the person probably doesn't want the job, which is not a good wow. assumption to make, I think. Yeah. Uh, Bruh. Yeah. It doesn't, I, I don't understand that at all. I mean, people are busy. They don't always have time to write thank you emails. You know what? I'm probably my, bus my busiest and most frantic and unable to just, you know jot off thank you notes is uh you know like when i'm unemployed 
Right. And trying well, and it's, to find a job. <laughs> the stakes of a of a thank you email seem so high anyway that you have to like sweat over it to make sure that you like got their name right and all of the details or whatever. Where do you even and, you issue know. a thank you note? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then number two, it says how someone presents in interviews might not translate to effectiveness in the role. Well, sending a thank you note doesn't necessarily yeah. guarantee the person will be a good hire. It gives you the tiniest bit more data. The candidate is eager, organized, and well-mannered enough to send the note. It shows resourcefulness, too, because the candidate often has to hunt down an email address the interviewer never gave them. Um, that's not, this is not a positive. Um, this is, firstly, this is like... firstly, if you want thank you emails, give them your email. <laughs> it's, this, don't play a game with them. Like, well, if they find my email and email me a thank you note, I'll hire them. But if not, then they go in the bin. This sounds a lot like... Uh the university system like like college like yeah oh well college is basically just a bunch of hoops to jump through but it proves that you can jump through hoops by jumping through our hoops right so that you will jump through hoops in the future when we make you jump through hoops because jumping through hoops is something that we need to create for people who jump through hoops to prove that they jump through hoops yeah anyway this person just i have an idea in my head of the kind of manager this person is and it's not a good manager to be honest like someone who thinks that a thank you email is an important thing just tells me that they lean on formality and an idea of like certain things that you should do rather than like actual quality of how good an employee you are your Mm. quality of your work or anything like that you know yeah and then she says here, uh, after the story went viral with tons of readers agreeing and disagreeing vehemently with my rule of thumb, I posted a follow-up article um, in which she answers um, some questions that she has posed to herself, none of which are particularly disfavorable to her. Um, <laughs> yeah. How could you make yeah. a rule about only hiring people who send thank you emails? And she says, oh, it's a rule of thumb. It's not an official policy. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean anything. When it comes when it comes to either g- getting or not getting a job offer, then it's kind of more than a rule of thumb, though, right? I mean, yeah, right. I don't know. Sending a Maybe. thank you note is an antiquated and pointless practice. And she says these days, an estimated ninety five percent of all Insider Inc. editorial applicants send thank you notes after interviewing unprompted. It's like, okay, great. It, that's not necessarily broadly true. <laughs> you work in a pretty specific industry. Um, yeah. I don't know. And then, yeah, a thank you email is purely for my ego. And then she says, the thank you note is not about expressing gratitude or groveling. I don't need to be thanked for my time. It's like, mm, that is literally the point of a thank you email is basically <laughs> another way to suck up to the interviewer. That's kind of the idea, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe not. Thank maybe we're getting it all wrong. Yeah. Sending a thank you is not in the job description or application instructions. And she has, she says, neither is being on time to an interview. There are a lot of unspoken conventions that have made their way into the hiring process. And I would argue that most of them are bad conventions that are just there to trip people up too often, <laughs> too Oops. often, um, like at colleges, you know, you have like the career services place that comes and talks to you about how to get a job and they do make it sound like a game. It's like a chess game that you have to yeah. play. And it's just silly. I don't know. It doesn't well, make it's silly sense. because your ability to play that game has no bearing on. Right. I mean, she kind of admits as much. It has no bearing on whether you're going to be a good employee. It Her just, whole point seems to be that sending a thank you email conveys that the person is interested in the job. But I feel like that's an assumption that isn't necessarily true. Yeah, I feel like they could most, still. I mean, they could just be trying to get an offer for you so that they can make, get a counter offer from somewhere else. Like that's yeah. not, you know, 
It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, <sighs> I so, this this is one more reason that I'm definitely not in the market to <laughs> go yeah. on a bunch of job interviews. Mm-hmm. But when I do, I'm going to send some thank you notes. Anyway, there were some notes in this outline article. There was uh, some tweets from people, and there's one who says, when I applied for a job at Business Insider, they had me do a four-hour unpaid writing test and ignored my multiple follow-up emails. Maybe it's not really fair to focus on whether your applicants are meeting an arbitrary standard of politeness, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Which man. Is, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that someone with this kind of view would have a problematic and Byzantine application process. We got them. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, the thing I wanted to, um, bring yeah, up. Yeah, you've had, I don't know if it's fair to say that you've had a bee in your bonnet. <laughs> a you've, had a, you've had this on your mind. It's been this buzzing been around bad. in there. Yeah, it's been rattling around in your brain area. Yeah. Uh, your skull, your brain area. That's and, what I'm calling it now. And I think it's a unique enough thing. And, and it's really nice to be able to use my English degree for something. <laughs> so this, yeah. this this segment is called an english degree explains to an engineering degree that's you like know, that's fine with me well because <laughs> you know i took the english classes that were required of me and no further yeah. so you know and i was I think, like more please yeah right so i mean i hope that you can demonstrate to me the value of Oh, no um, pressure. What you plan to speak about, <laughs> which we're dancing so, around. So what we're going to talk about is something that I think I think is severely lacking in in online particularly discussion, but it's in broader discussions as well. But especially in a world that media criticism has become like such a huge part of our discourse, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Every time a movie comes out, we're like, is the Ghostbusters good? Is the Ghostbusters bad? Are the girl Ghostbusters okay? Right. Like, is, and then there's. <laughs> is movie good or is movie deeply problematic and needs to be canceled? Is, is, or is movie everything? Right. <laughs> and, um, Am I here for movie? <laughs> and everyone like stakes out their claim. Is this Coco? <laughs> is this Coco? <laughs> it's a Coco. Um, so, so reading those those arguments and debates mm-hmm. and hearing those discussions of people is so enervating for someone who would use the word enervating in a conversation <laughs> like me, who is, who is an English major, My because man. it's just like the people people aren't really having a discussion or a debate they're not like really bringing a lot to the table yeah they're, they're just saying they're kind of my point is right each other right like just trying to yeah. say the most educated sounding things so what we want out, tossing out words like teleology or <laughs> yeah and and so oh, the so, deus ex machina <laughs> oh everyone's just using their like little the denouement <laughs> Except for like, what's funny is like, you meet those people and you hear them in real life and they don't know how to pronounce those words. Like (laughs) reading somewhere on Reddit. Um, Yeah. But what I wanted to talk about was literary criticism. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I learned enough in high school to know that this isn't 
what it literally sounds like. This is not saying that books are bad or whatever. This is book it? is good. This book is bad. Right. <laughs> it's not it's that literary book. criticism. No, it's... um. <laughs> so literary criticism, you can almost think of it like a thought technology. It's like a tool that you use to understand the world. Okay. Yeah, kind of like the scientific method, I guess, but for yeah, yeah, know, ideas, right? Works of art, right? Yeah. So you can apply apply it to like any any work of art, like a, a novel or a, an essay, or like even even like literary criticism. It's not called literary criticism, but the same idea is applied to like uh, visual art too. Vision, right. So I guess that apply, would just be art criticism. Right. But, yeah. but it's the same sort of idea. Um, and, and here's how it works. So in literary criticism, you, you take a careful and close reading of a text and then you interpret it um, or examine what you're looking at through a particular lens. And you do, I want to keep it basic, but you do basically like one lens at a time. So, mm -hmm. so you could look, you could read, and one of the examples that I shared with you is you could read the uh, book uh, Les Miserables, right? And you Les could, Miserables. you could examine it through like an historical lens, a gender lens, a Marxist lens, a queer lens, a psychological lens. There's all these different kinds of lenses through which you can look at it. And you think about that, like putting on a different pair of glasses, you know? How, or how how you see things through glasses versus how you see things through like a through night vision goggles versus how you see things through a microscope versus how you see things through a telescope those are all just lenses you're still using your eyes you're still you're still seeing the same thing but you're looking at it through a different perspective right right the analogy i would think of here is like the hubble space telescope has a bunch of different instruments that pick up different parts of the spectrum so when right. we point it at something, we see different things depending on which sensor we're using and what we're trying to look for. And you see all these different wavelengths of light, and sometimes it takes all of those and synthesizes them together. But that's kind of like now I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in in literary criticism, so this example we're reading Les Misérables, which is this you know famous work of of fiction, this this novel that follows this man who's who's convicted for stealing a loaf of bread. And he he's, he escapes prison. He's he's kind of goes through this this process where he he becomes uh, mayor of a town, and there's there's a lot of this stuff going on during this revolution in France. Um, and it's this huge, sprawling, big you know, big mm -hmm. work of, of fiction. Now you could read that through a historical lens, and what you would do is you'd ask questions like, what what does this book have to say about this time period in history, or right. How can this time period in history when this book was written inform us about the work? Or yeah. what how does the historical events happening in the narrative explain the the reasons the characters make different decisions? Mm -hmm. Um and so the main th thing you can do with this is you're getting out of the mode of is this right or wrong? Right. <laughs> is this good or bad? Yeah. Which is that, kind of that's a hard that's a hard evaluation to make like broadly of a work. Yeah. Or it I liked it through, so it's bad. Uh, I, right. It's <laughs> I liked it so it's good. 
<laughs> I liked it so it's bad. Yeah. No, I liked uh, it so it's good. You liked it so it's bad. You know. Right. Yeah, because you know, there's there, as you mentioned, there's these lenses. So someone might find meaning in it in a way that you didn't. Um, right. And that's why you think that the work is bad, whereas they think it's good, you know? So right. it's, you can't really paint. There's very few works of art that you can paint with a broad stroke and say that they're like unequivocally bad. Right. Just like, I mean, Atlas Shrugged is probably the one I can only, the only one I can think of at the moment, but. And even then <laughs> there are plenty of people who don't agree that it's bad. Right, so. right, right. There's plenty, there's plenty that you can draw from it. Um, and it's just like it's it's just like anything else like is um you know is arsenic bad it is if you ingest it if you're a human right but is it useful in other circumstances yeah you know it's yeah. so that's kind of what like we want water wanna... is bad if you drink enough of it right and so that's that's how i feel like people need to do a better job of approaching art and approaching their interpretation of, of art, but not just art, but the media in general. So these applying these different lenses and asking these different questions based on the lens that you're looking at some through can inform like how you interpret things other than just a novel. Right. Cause it, I think people can see the value of this for interpreting like a novel. Yeah. Um, but it's also valid for like interpreting the news. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and I wonder if part of the thing is people are used to this sort of Socratic, you know, long winded examination of books. But then when you start talking about this in relation to, um, you know, let's say TV movies, news, etc., people are like, well, you know, like it's not that deep or whatever. <laughs> like they just don't. Yeah. It seems like right. you're kind of, thinking about it too much right and you're over, you're over intellectualizing it yeah but i really don't feel like as a society we're super in danger of over intellectualizing no it. at least not <laughs> lately <laughs> I, I don't think that's a tremendous problem much easier to just make a bold pronouncement on twitter <laughs> that something is bad and canceled yeah and canceled <laughs> so so i think for instance you know if you're watching the news you could apply let's for, cause this is one that's very easy for, especially for probably people who are listening to this, but you could apply like a Marxist lens. So a Marxist lens asks questions relative to class. Mm -hmm. So you can watch a news report and you can ask questions about, about it by thinking like, okay, what ideas about class are being shared here? How does this depict the working class or how does this depict the wealthy how does this how how does this differentiate people how does this right. promote an idea of class you know you can yeah. ask all these kind how of questions how could capital be influence or you know be acting in this you know work right. or right. right how could it be influenced you know you can ask these kinds of questions and and i think when you start looking at things that way you you start at least at least in my uh, in my experience, you really start to get at more interesting ideas that inform your, your worldview to a much greater extent than just mm -hmm. like ticking off a box and moving on. And right. you start to, you start to like 
learn things. For instance, when you start to ask questions, this, I mean, this is like a basic question, but when someone makes a, a statement in the, in, in the, in a newspaper that, you know, uh, people, people are concerned about how you will pay for this. You know, that, that people, people are concerned about how this policy will be paid for. Who mm -hmm. are these people? <laughs> Why right. are they? Who are concerned? these people? What are what are their interests? You know what? Yeah, like you know what exist? what industry or what you know groups do they represent and all that? Yeah, so it's like asking like for who because you know is a really good way to start to get into a a criticism of something. But right. I don't know. I just think applying and 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 the biggest example for me lately that really got me thinking about this was Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. Because I witnessed so many really stupid discussions going on around Captain yeah. Marvel, and yep. um, it become everything becomes tribal, and then w you can't learn anything. You can't you can't have a discussion that like reveals anything or that enriches you as a human being. Um, mm -hmm. When you've just picked a side and decided that anyone else who's not towing the party line on that is bad. Right. And it's just really unnerving. <laughs> it, it's interesting watch. given how well we know at this point that it's very hard to change someone's opinion by arguing with them. <laughs> that people Boy, continue we try. to try. <laughs> and 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 the thing is that so in, in the instance of Captain Marvel, I saw a lot of people who were interpreting Captain Marvel through a feminist lens. They were applying right. a feminist lens of saying Captain Marvel is this character and what's happening in the plot is it's is is it's explaining and showing how the patriarchy or men are gaslighting the character and mm -hmm. and keeping the 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 character down which is like a classic you know feminist idea right mm -hmm. there's this gender dynamic at play and for them, that theme was very powerful. And they thought and they thought that qualified it as a great work of art. Mm -hmm. um, I think other people were looking at it through a different lens. Some people were looking through it through the lens of a chud who doesn't want to see women <laughs> in his movie. And, that, and I mean, like, right. that's... I don't, I don't like girl superheroes. Yeah, I mean, that's stupid. Um, Those people, I, think a lot of I don't people, know that... <laughs> a lot of people were looking were looking at it through um through a different lens they were you know looking at it through i don't know how what, what lens this would be but almost 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 a they, they were applying a critique of of uh superhero stories in general right in this there it right. was like a genre critique yeah they're sort of contextualizing it in the in the you know with all of the other marvel movies or even superhero movies in general and how right. they how they uh the effect they've had on society sort of taken together rather than just this one particular movie and that's a valid criticism too and i mean yeah. I, I for 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 me when i saw the movie a feminist critique was not exactly what i took out of it or or uh, honestly looking at it through a feminist critique, I, I saw that there was a lot of other problems with the movie. 
mm-hmm. it didn't counteract the other things. I, I, for me, I, I was interpreting the movie through an imperialist lens. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking, looking at it as, as in a lot of ways, it's almost a imperialist propaganda piece. And hmm. to me, right. I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't seen I, the movie, but I have heard that it depicts uh, the air forces in a particularly positive light. Right. And I mean, somewhat glorifying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's a valid critique too. And my critique doesn't negate the other critiques and doesn't negate what you write out of the movie. And then, as I said, I haven't seen the movie at all. So my (laughs) critique from this comes from sort of a Marxist perspective, I guess, where I was like, the whole point of the movie was to generate profit for the studio. Yeah. And any, any meaning beyond that was just in service of getting people to come and see the movie. I think that was also a big factor of what I was thinking about the movie too. There's yeah. constantly that thought in the back of my mind, like, well, how was this in service of driving right. up the revenue and advancing yeah, in, the in my critique, they didn't write a meaningful movie to write a meaningful movie. They wrote a meaningful movie because people would be incentivized to come and see it and spend money on it. Yeah. Now so. the, the, the Uber, the Uber, uh, English major people, who are more advanced than me in the, are, are, are spinning. They're just spinning right now mm-hmm. because there's like a very predominant idea in literary criticism is in certain circles, but I would say it's, it's a pretty popular idea that you should consider a work as it is and not consider like the intent of the author, the intent of the creator, um, that that should be outside the scope of your criticism. And, I can see um, where that can be beneficial, but I can yeah. also see where that's not beneficial. Right. right. I, I, think, I think there's a point to be made for things like um, what, uh, like Orson Scott Card, yeah. you know, things like Ender's Game. Those are very good books, but as a person, he's not a super great person to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so my you mom, can my mom kind dated of separate them that. there. <laughs> hmm? My mom what? dated him for a while. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I should blast that out on a podcast, but yeah. Uh, interesting. He's an interesting fella. Right. Um, but yeah. But then there's other things that it's like, what, am I supposed to read Mein Kampf, like devoid of the context of the person who wrote it? Like, I don't know about that. Yeah. And I mean, you could, but you also have to realize that it's also valid to read yeah. it in light of the creator and the outside influence. So I, I'm not as strict in that view i I, think it's the school i come from is not right and i'm of the opinion that books belong to their readers which is to say that it's possible for someone to read meaning into a work that an author didn't intend um but i think it's also fair that the author would say you know well what i meant is by this is this other thing and it's like well that's great and i get that but what if i also draw this other meaning from it so right and so I, this, is, this is this gets into things like um, J.K. Rowling's constant revision of, <laughs> of the Harry Potter series, like after the fact. And it's like people have already like done a lot of thinking about that. And then you're sort of retconning stuff and it messes with. And let's be know, honest, the lessons people have drawn. Right. A lot of these people are a lot, a lot more intelligent than the, than the author. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm sure she's great. I've never read the books, but yeah, it it seems like lately she's been trying to retcon to like increase representation in the books that wasn't originally there. Yeah, which I don't. It's like not. It's like if you want, you can talk about. You can look at the books through the lens of representation, say that they're not a very good example of representation. I think that's a lesson that stands on its own. You know, it's not that we need to go back and fix it and write in new characters in the background that are I there mean, because <laughs> you know as sort of token characters or whatever to make it a to make it a perfect book yeah it needs yeah. to check all these boxes <laughs> uh yeah. it needs to send a thank you note oh <laughs> <laughs> um oh we don't have anything else to talk about and no we I don't get that chime yeah i just felt like that was such a good it really was a kind good. of bow on it and I didn't quite know what to do. I I feel like this is the end. Well, all right. It was fun. Everybody remember to apply literary criticism. Um, yeah. If you want to please, apply... Please make better arguments. If you're going to argue on Twitter, do it properly. Yeah. We're watching and we're judging. We're judging so much. I have no idea what I'm doing. I was not prepared for this. I'm trying and I'm learning. Thank you for your patience There's so many mistakes I have already made But I'm working to be better day by day And I think I'm gonna make it But for now I'll say I have no idea what I'm doing